On behalf of the Kansas City Alliance of Reformed Churches, we would welcome each of you this evening as we have gathered to call upon the Lord to gather. Uh, We are um, uh, members here from various churches. Uh, The Kansas City Alliance, as you can see in the bulletin, consists of uh, PCA congregations, uh, United Reformed, OPC, I pastor the Northland Reformed Church, uh, RCUS, and that we can worship together, I think, is a wonderful testimony uh, to the fact that there is one God, one Father, and that we would call upon his name to gather. At this time, we will be prepared for worship with the choral introit. Let's now stand together for the call to worship. You'll see in the bulletin there, this is from Psalm 125, the first three verses. Reading together, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Let's now sing together in our, uh, our Trinity hymnals, number 12, which is Psalm 135. Uh, Exalt the Lord, his praise proclaim.
Our Father, you are sovereign. With the psalmist, we pray that you might send forth your light and your truth. O God, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Make us to be still and to know that you are God. Let us exalt you among the nations and let all your people everywhere gathered here exalt you this day on the earth. And Father, we pray that you would hear us as we pray together that prayer that your son Jesus taught us through his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Please open your hymnals to page 846. And there we have the Nicene Creed, page 846. This is an opportunity for us as a congregation of God's people to express our common profession of faith in Christ using the words of this creed. And so let's read this creed in unison together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please turn uh, to the back of your bulletin sheets to Psalm 47a. It's Psalm 47, the A selection in the book of Psalms for worship, which we don't have before us. And uh, Ron Patterson will be leading us in this psalm together. Let's stand as we give praise to God.
please be seated. Let us pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the only name by which we can come, the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. Our, in the name of our mediator and our intercessor, we come uh, proclaiming his glory. We come uh, with praises in our mouths and in our hearts. And Father, we would plead with you that you would be given all glory and praise here this evening as we gather together in worship of you, the Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, now we do uh, lift up uh, requests that we have, the general requests that we have as churches, uh, that you would uh, build us up in the faith, that you would encourage us, that you, you would use your word this evening, and you would use the word that is preached and proclaimed in our pulpits to train up and teach us and correct us and rebuke us of our sin. That you would uh, teach us over and over and remind us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that only by Christ are we saved and only in, by faith in him. And Father, Father, we know it is only his righteousness that we need, for there is no uh, righteousness within ourselves apart from him. Now, Father, we ask that you would um, heal us, grant us strength in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. Father, there are many here and many of our congregations which struggle in their bodies. And so, Father, we would ask that you would heal them, heal the cancers, heal the broken bones, heal uh, all the marriages that struggle. Father, we know there are quite a few that we've heard about that struggle, and uh, Father, we ask that you would be the God that they look to, that they would not look to any pastor for guidance, uh, for, you know, for the perfect guidance, but that they would look to you, the only healer of God's people, the God who established that it's not good for man to be alone, and who said that it's just like that relationship of marriage is like the relationship of Christ and the church. Father, we ask that in all of our relationships we would look to you for strength. And that unity would, uh, we would find that uh, in your word we know that it says that we are called to speak the truth in love. And that you would cause us to be united by the truth, by your word, and by your spirit. And Father, we ask that you would build us up this evening. Uh, be with uh, Tony as he brings your word. And that we would not see him, but that we would see you. And that we would see your son. Give us ears to hear. And bless uh, all the giving now that is to take place in this offering. We ask that you would give us cheerful hearts. And hearts that love to give to you. And for the good and uh, good of your church and for the proclamation of the gospel. For we do again pray it in Jesus' name. So hear us, we pray. Amen. It is now time for the offering. Would the ushers come forward?
from our hymnals, hymn number 37. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. The text is printed for you on the insert with a short outline as well, but I will refer to some of the verses that come before since we're at the very beginning of this second letter of Peter. Our passage of focus comes in an epistle that is not usually classified as a pastoral epistle, but we find some insight for sure by just a few verses in this opening chapter that will help pastors for sure. I believe pastors and elders and teachers of God's Word will be encouraged and guided by this text and the people of God, uh, noting Peter's heart about the pastor's passion and purpose will help you as well. It will help you to appreciate your pastors and your elders' calling, to help them, to heed them, to pray for them. We'll, we will be able to do this much more carefully and faithfully as we hear uh, the heart of the apostle here by God's Spirit. In the opening verses, there is this recall to our righteousness being in Christ, like all of the New Testament epistles, grounded in the verses about what we are to do by way of obedience. It's grounded in our righteousness accomplished in Christ first. It's never given as though we do these things and then become righteous. It's always, we are righteous because of Christ, legally stated as righteous because we have faith in the work of Christ, And then from there, we are given that which we are to do, the way in which we live out our union with Christ, our being in Christ. This is so foundational and key to all of the Christian life. And this is something that is key to the passion of 
shepherds in the life of the people of God. In that very first verse of 2 Peter 1, it says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, as he writes to the, the people who are receiving this, us by extension, that you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. The Apostle Peter is saying to the people receiving, they have obtained a faith of equal standing with theirs. And this is because they too are in Christ. No one's righteousness is greater than the other's because our righteousness is only in Christ. It's His righteousness. And this is why we have, in this sense, equal standing as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's from this standing that he begins to give exhortation about the way in which we should live out what the Word teaches. Live it out. Know what it means. Live it out in life. And this is how it becomes even more uh, embraced by us, understood by us, shown by us. So it starts with our righteousness in Christ, and then we live it out from there. Now, with this in mind, this obedience that Peter is calling for. We have confidence that God is at work when he works this obedience in us because we know that we could not conjure this obedience ourselves. A a proof of the gospel's truth in our life is when we start to see change in our life. That's one way we're assured. So now, look with me at the text. I'll start reading at verse 10 of 2 Peter 1, and the focus will be verses 12 to 15, but we need that context starting at verse 10. Hear now God's holy word. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, starting at verse 12 to 15, where our primary focus will be, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Father, there is so much uh, that can be said about the call of pastors and elders and their passion and their purpose that you have given to them. Lord, help us to focus upon what you have given to us here in these verses. I pray for those who are pastors and shepherds, elders, teachers of your word. I pray that you give us a real sense of urgency about imparting your word to your people. Give us a passion for this. Give us a sense of real vigor and calling about it. To be excited about this mission you have given us. And for every one of us as the people of God, as we have opportunity to hear your word, I pray that you would help us not to be hearers only, but doers also of your word. That we would see how you have tie together the truth of your word, what is true, and then what to do. And I pray that that would be lived out in our lives so that people would know Christ, so that you would be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you study Peter's exhortation here, you will find uh, more reference to his sense of shepherding over the people to whom he is writing. And you'll find that the pastor's passion, as viewed through Peter, is to help God's people persevere in faith in Christ and holiness to the end. Now, Peter has many identities for sure. He served in many roles in God's plan of redemption, but for sure he was a pastor who cared about the people that God gave him to lead. And you see that his passion is to help the people of God persevere, and that's the same passion any pastor has. Any pastor who believes that God has given us his word and that it is true and that Christ is the great shepherd, it is our passion to see you persevere first in faith in Jesus, that that would be true to you to the end, and that by connection to your faith in Jesus, you're living out holiness that comes from faith in Jesus. 
Let's look at the passage together, and we'll walk through it and see how this is so. First of all, in verse 12 and then in verse 13, you see where pastors are really to have a driving passion. This is revealed in the way Peter writes this. Pastors are to have a driving passion for God's people. And they want God's people to be established in the truth. And this is what drives them. Look at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Do you catch the way in which this is worded? I intend always to remind you. I'm going to keep reminding you. I'm not going to tell you once, I'm going to tell you twice, and then I'm going to tell you again. I always will remind, ongoing action, I will always remind you of these qualities. These qualities refer back to what was laid out in the opening verses. We'll return to considering that in a moment. But first, we can see the purpose. His purpose, very simply, is to remind. He is going to remind the people of God. Reminding is a major purpose for pastors. I know that we sometimes talk, and every one of us has probably said at one time in our mind or out loud, stop nagging me to somebody. But the ministry of nagging is important when it relates to reminding. I mean, what does reminding mean? It means to keep telling you something you already know. Peter says that. I'm going to remind you of these qualities, but I know you already know them. But guess what? I'm going to remind you anyways. It's that important that it becomes so etched into our minds and hearts that I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you again. His purpose is one of reminding. It's not the pastor's purpose to invent stuff. It's the pastor's purpose to remind you what the Word of God says. But also we see the passion, this passion that drives just by the way this is worded. This is not just stated as a a list of tasks the pastor should do or that he would do in his pastoral ministry. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Look at verse 12. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, as long as I have breath, as long as I am alive, as long as I am able to get up into this pulpit, I intend to stir you up by way of reminder. So there's a passion that is connected with this reminding ministry. As long as I am in this body, stirring up. He's going to stir up as long as he can with these reminders. You know, stirring up connotes the idea of raising the the awareness of people who might be prone to forget. And let's be honest, we're prone to forget. It does not take long for us to forget. It's shocking how long it takes for us to forget. It's so quick, so swift, and our memory is gone. Stirring up means more than just giving the facts, but, but rather poking and prodding to awaken, to invigorate the hearers. Stirring is a great, great picture to me as we think of making a pot of sauce. What could be better than making a pot of sauce? I put the ingredients in one at a time. First the tomatoes, then the tomato paste in just the right proportion. Then a little bit of basil, a little buzzlagaw. Just a little bit, not too much. You don't want the wrong ratio. Then you put some oregano in or you put a lot of oregano in. Lots of garlic. And when you think you've had enough garlic, you put more garlic in. That's what you do. Then you put a little bit of salt. Then some sugar. I like sugar in my sauce. Then a little bit of meat. Then some pepper. Some other things that you might like. You put them all in the pot. But you don't just let that sit on the burner. Even the least Italian among you know you don't just leave a pot of sauce, sit there on the burner and walk off. What do you do? Stir the sauce. That was a refrain in my house growing up. Uh, Stir the sauce. There would always be sauce on. Someone better go by and stir it. If you walk by the sauce and don't stir it, you have not done your duty. That's just understood. If you see a pot of sauce, you should go check to see if it needs to be stirred. Because you don't want stuff to settle on the bottom. Because what happens when it settles on the bottom? It burns, and it doesn't mix, and it doesn't do what it's intended to do. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm not going to let you settle, the pastor says. We can't settle. We get to sit there and soak down to the bottom. We will not be doing our purpose. So I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. The pastor's job isn't to do this by inventing new things, but to remind. To remind what has been given to us in God's Word. 
The pastor wants to keep it fresh and constantly in front of the people as he stirs. As long as I have breath, I'm about stirring you up by way of reminder. So really, preaching and teaching God's Word is a ministry of reminding. If you look at the verses as a whole that we're studying, 12 to 15, look at it real quickly, you'll see uh, three different, almost, well, four sections where this is repeated. So we recognize how important it is that we remind. In the first verse, verse 12 that we're studying, therefore, I intend always to remind you. Then down at the end of verse 13, to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So we have his purpose and his passion woven together in these things. Now what does the pastor have to remind the people of? Now the whole counsel of God would certainly be in view, but in particular, look at the verses just before verse 12 where we have begun our more intensive study. Look at starting at verse 5. This is some of, the, some of the qualities he's talking about. But what I want you to pay close attention to as I read verse 5 down to verse 11 is the mixture of truth or doctrinal statements with living them out. This is very important. We often miss this about the Word. We study the Word so that it changes our life and it affects our life and it forms our life and it shapes our community together in the body of Christ. Verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Do you see the combination, the connection of virtue and knowledge? Virtue, uh, values and life lived out with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. So not just a matter of puffing up with knowledge, but that it would have effect on the way you view things with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness or stability with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. What a beautiful picture of the truth of the Word of God and how it's so practical, it's so lived out. And this takes time. Sometimes lots of time. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could submit that if we're not living out the truths we're studying in the Word of God, that we become ineffective, almost as ineffective as if we didn't know them. So just knowing them isn't what makes you effective. It's the, the living them out. It's the rubbing them up against each other in our lives to see these virtues lived out and actualize so that the salvation that has been made ours in Christ is accented and changed lives, something that people will recognize only God can do and thus give him glory and point them to the Savior. This is fruitfulness when we live out what the truth of the Word says. And this is something your pastors want to continually remind you. And they need to remind themselves. I have to consistently read this for myself every week as I prepare for the next time I have such a privileged opportunity as to remind the people of God, myself among them, It says also in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He has forgotten his position in Christ. And this is probably why he's not living out the truths that are there given. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Because he knows as practicing them, it's a living out of the truth of your position in Christ. People lack assurance often because they don't see obedience in their life. Or they assume in some warped way that if I believe, that's, I'll constantly go back to saying I believe and my life won't be changed as a result, which is not at all what the Scripture says will happen when God does the work of salvation in you. And many people lack assurance because they misunderstand what place the fruit of obedience will, will take in God's work in your life. But if you give yourself to these things, knowing that we will obviously fail along the way, but as we're striving towards living out that which has been made true in us in Christ, in this sense, we'll never fall. This is what it means. This will be evidence. It will give us assurance that God's work is true in us. Verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it begins the passage we're looking at. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them 
and are established in the truth that you have. So the driving passion of the pastor is to see the people of God established in the truth so that they might live those truths out, that they might reflect the glory of Christ, that they might sense assurance themselves that God is working in them. You see this mixture of truth and application throughout as the word is given. Establishment of the truth is absolutely necessary, and establishment of the truth uh, comes even further and deeper when those truths are lived out. Uh, The verse that has been my guiding verse personally and we've used as a church as it relates to our task and leadership especially comes from Paul's writing to the Colossians, which you would expect rightly mirrors what Peter says here. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, him, that's Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, this effort to see people mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul alludes to a struggle or a toil. Peter lived that toil as he pastored. I think that's the normal way of things as it relates to ministry, not just the pulpit ministry, not just the ministry of teaching that happens in other venues, but the ministry of parents who are teaching their wor- the Word to their children. It's, a, it's toilsome. It's a struggle. It's ongoing. It's not quick and easy. It doesn't just happen once in a while. It's over the long haul. That's the nature and the truth of this ministry of reminding. Let's look at verse 13 again, but into verse 14, because we get a sense of urgency that comes through Peter. And maybe I'm making a bit of an excuse here for why we get all fired up as pastors about these things and want to talk about them consistently. We only have so much time, and we know it. Peter had just a little bit of time, and he knew it because Jesus told him so. But none of us really have as much time as we think. And any time we do have is actually very, very short. Verse 13, he says, I think it right as long as I am in this body, you know, as long as I'm still with you and alive, to stir you up by way of reminder. And this is where it really gets kind of morbid almost when Peter says it, especially because we know what he's talking about. Verse 14, he says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, Peter had a keen awareness of the shortness of time that he had. He was under no illusion that he would live a long life. And as long as you may live, it's just not really that long, my brothers. I think he's referring to, and most scholars think that Peter is referring to what Jesus says to him after the resurrection in John 21 when when Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. He says that to him several times, and then he says... Jesus does to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And then verse 19 of John 21 says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Well, we know from church history that Peter died probably in the early 60s. Eusebius, that great church historian, the first of them, talked about Peter dying in Nero's day when he writes in his history, Nero, publicly announcing himself as the chief enemy of God, was led on his fury to slaughter the apostles. Paul is therefore said to have been beheaded at Rome, and Peter to have been crucified under him. And this account is confirmed by the fact that the names of Peter and Paul still remain in the cemeteries of that city even to this day. That was written in 325 A.D. Origen, who lived earlier, though, said something also that seems to point to the truth of Peter's demise. Peter appears to have preached through Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and to the Jews that were scattered abroad, who also, finally coming to Rome, was crucified with his head downward, having requested of himself to suffer in this way. Well, life is short no matter how long you live, and that's true for all of us. So, brothers and sisters of our churches, cut us some slack if we're fired up to tell you this stuff, because we don't know how long we have. We really don't. And I say that somewhat uh, loosely, but I also want to tell you that I've seen it in my own life with people that I love. We were in a church in St. Louis for three years while I was in seminary, and one of the most effective pastors in our lives that I've ever known. 
It was a church where we were uh, able to be active uh, participants in the ministry of the church and learn how the church was guided by the shepherds of the church. And we love this man. He was vigorous for the gospel. He shared it with everybody he knew, and he was faithful with the text. Week after week, we went there and were strengthened for the ministry that we were training for. And we loved him very much. Went away, saw him at General Assembly each year, enjoyed fellowship with him. I was renewed in excitement every time I met him. Then about three or four years ago, we got a phone call from some beloved brothers and sisters from the church, and we found out that our pastor had died suddenly while running around a track at age 41. We drove to that funeral, and I remember the shocked looks of the people in the church, and just all of us, didn't, we didn't know what to say to each other. We didn't expect, our shepherd's not supposed to die, especially 41. They sh- he should still be here. This is a guy that we thought would live long. He'd be reminding us for a long time. I'm just so grateful that in his personality that God had given him, he was as urgent as anyone I've ever known to tell people the truths of the gospel. Life is super short, no matter how long you live. I remember about six years ago, and some of you could probably recount these kinds of episodes, not that you think that it couldn't happen to you, but I remember as Pastor Nathan and I were driving down Highway 69 in the early pre-dawn hours, and a whole family of deer decided to walk in front of us, and it was about the, mid- the middle of May, right when they were fawning, and they were just the, all together, the does and the fawns, there was probably seven or eight deer on the edge of the road moving into the road, And that reaction is, you know, if you've had this happen, and if you live in Kansas, Missouri, this has happened to you at some point, just what happened after is the issue. I tried to steer to miss and start to go back, and as I went back, the truck just started sliding off the road, and it flipped two and a half times off the road and up on the embankment. This is on a Monday. Can't get more blessed and exciting than Sunday with the brethren, and then Monday morning, we're going out to, to spend some time in the woods to go hunting, and on the way, this happens and the car rolls and, and I could fe- hear the glass going and the, it, it's shaking up in the car and then we let rest it up on the top on 69 highway. It goes up and we were resting upside down and it was teetering kind of on the edge there. And my first thought, to be honest with you, when I knew I was all right, was was Nathan still alive? Was he still in the truck? Was he thrown out? I couldn't tell because the, the ceiling was crushed. Then I said, Nathan. And I was terrified at that moment. I'm thinking of his wife. I'm thinking of his kids. I'm thinking of our church. I'm thinking of er- all sorts of things passing through my mind. And I heard him say, yeah, I'm okay. Because at that time, I was glad he's five foot six. (laughs) Because the EMT told us that anybody taller would be dead. There was zero ceiling left on his side. And that's usually the way people are killed in those situations is the blunt force trauma. I don't hug guys much, but we hugged after that happened right there on the side of Highway 69. And thank God. And I thought and have thought ever since then how out of control things really are. How, we, we are in the illusion that we have things under control. And that's true of all of us. So we should live with a certain amount of urgency about this reminding ministry of the gospel of Christ and his word. Something else I want us to see from the text. Verse 12 and then verse 15 also accents this a bit. And, and I'm doing a bit of pastoral license to encourage my KCR brothers especially who have come to love these pastors that were up here uh, and Harold who's not here and, and others who are from other churches that we've come to know. I want to give some encouragement by drawing a point from verse 12 and verse 15. I believe we can see here just by the way Peter exhorts. Yes, there's an urgency, no doubt, but there's also a certain sense of long-term corporate perspective about ministry of reminding or the ministry concerning the Word. There's no shortcuts to seeing the people of God established in the truth. Now, I personally may only have a short amount of time with you, but we want to be about in the pastoral ministry and the ministry of the elders to continually be practicing such a teaching of the Word that it almost wouldn't matter whether I was here or not. There would be that ministry going. Someone else could do it, but it would be a long-term corporate perspective about our need to be under the Word. Uh, There are no shortcuts in maintaining the establishment of God's people. Tending the sheep of God demands urgency for sure, but also careful, methodical, dedicated, meticulous nurturing also. Verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. As long as he is alive, he's going to do this. You know them and are established in the truth that you have. But I'm going to keep telling you, we're going to keep going over this. It's so important and it's long term. 
Does this strike you as a guy who plans to come and go quickly? Not at all. He's going to keep at this. On the one hand, he knows his time is short. On the other hand, in earthly terms, the shepherding ministry takes time, patience, perseverance, repetition. He's explicit about his method. I intend to always remind you of these qualities. A pastor or an elder comes to understand there is need of regular, constant, perpetual reminders concerning the Word of God, and this goes on, and this goes on, and this goes on. We ought to do our best to make this fresh for you, brothers and sisters, to, to remind you in different ways, but we are to remind you. Notice how Paul encourages Timothy in his pastoral letter to this young pastor, Timothy. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, and I think you'll see how this is a long-term endeavor that we are, have been called to. First Timothy four eleven through 16 says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So to set an example, there is an indication that this would take some time. This is not something that happens quickly. So set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Not just by reminding, but then by example as well. Verse 13, until I come, Paul saying to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Important. The public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. This is the scariest part about pastoral ministry. As we remind you, we are automatically some kind of living example for you. Now, I would never, ever set it out to be that you should follow me, but rather me as I follow Christ, because Christ is the one who is our example. But it is inevitable, and it's right for you to say, how is it that my pastor, my elders, how are they working through these truths of the Scriptures? How are they living out the Gospel? How are they seeing their rootedness in Christ and His righteousness shaped in their lives? Because it is right for the person in the church to ask that question, hopefully showing the same grace that they are receiving from their pastors and elders. But we can't shirk the fact that there is a corporate focus. There is a long-term corporate focus that takes living together in loving one another and living before each other. The leaders of the church are called to set out and give example to these things. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy 4, practice these things, devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. That's a word we don't hear much. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You can see the hopeful goal in Peter when Peter writes in the 15th verse of the verse we're studying, the last verse. In 2 Peter 1.15, he says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So however much time I have with you in my teaching and reminding, when I'm gone, I will know that you will recall what was said. So my goal is to be so sure that you know that when I'm taken from here, you will recall. That's going to take persistence. That's going to take reminding. That's going to take consistency. That's going to take stability. That's going to take meticulous work and effort. I want to give special encouragement to my brothers, the ministers in the KCR, as well as your elders I want to give special encouragement to the brothers and sisters here of those churches who are committed, especially to the exposition of the Word. One of the most encouraging things that comes from our every other month meeting together, the pastors meet every other month at one of our churches for lunch and we talk and fellowship. What's so encouraging is anybody can say, what book are you preaching right now? It's just wonderful to hear everybody has a book they're preaching. Well, I'm preaching through Genesis. I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians. I'm preaching through Proverbs right now, or I'm preaching through Psalms. And it's wonderful to hear that among the brothers. And I want to encourage you to continue in that. I really do believe that the, 
the prominence of topical sermons has lessened the effectiveness of the ministry of the Word. Please don't misunderstand me. Topical sermons, if they're biblical sermons, are certainly profitable. But replacing a steady diet of exposition with such topical treatments, I think it's put many Christians in an anemic state of understanding. They don't have a foundation so that when you go to remind, there's nothing to remind because there's nothing there to stir. You can see by what Peter says here and by what we have read from Paul to Pastor Timothy that the kind of teaching necessary for solid spiritual growth will take time and perseverance. The kind of teaching necessary will not be doctrinal only, but it will be truth joined with action, and that will happen naturally as you walk through the Bible. Look at the verses that we're studying one more time. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. So we, to know what that verse means, we would have to have read the first 11 verses to remind of these qualities. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. The reminders are based on a foundation that's laid, a foundation that comes through an exp- exposition of the Word, a teaching of the Word, a, a training in the Word, so that when I come to remind, there is some recall. Now, everyone will at some point be at a beginning stage and will need to have uh, them, they will have to be built up in the faith. No question, we have to have those avenues in our churches. But as a regular diet, what we need so desperately today is, is biblical knowledge that comes through walking through the Bible with our people and then going and talking about it as a congregation as to how we live it out. This is what is true. Now what do we do? And go to the text with great, great excitement the next week it's coming. I just can't wait to hear what the next five verses will say and how it plugs into the whole of the book in the whole of the Bible and all of what God's doing. I have a friend visiting, and as we talk about our walk with Christ, we haven't seen each other in a while, and we have different ways of expressing the same things. But what's wonderful is having a certain foundation. When he says something in a, with a certain lingo, it stirs me up to think about an old truth in a different way, and I'm stirred up again. And that should happen really every time we come together. We're stirred up again based on some foundational things we know that have come to us over time as we have been in the Word. We teach the Scriptures carefully and expositionally so that we become equipped with a foundation that can be continually stirred up, like the stuff you put in the pot. You want to come back and stir that up, but you've got to put it in first. It's got to be there. It takes time to put it in and stir it up. Peter wants the people remember God's Word. So he's going to give you pastors and he's going to give you elders who will methodically and carefully remind you. And verse 15 puts that crown upon it. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. I hope it's a helpful reminder for all of us of the pastor's passion and purpose as revealed by the words of Peter, the Word of God, because it is the passion of the biblical pastor to help God's people persevere in faith and holiness to the end. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your loving watch care. We are so thankful that you have given us your Word. We are so thankful for gifting pastors and elders and teachers and parents to be about the ministry of the Word in our lives. Lord, please stir us up to love and good works. Stir us up not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. Help us to know what is true and what to do. Give us, in each of our churches, faithfulness to your word. Faithfulness to your gospel. A love for Jesus that is renewed daily and certainly every time we come together to worship. Pray this. In Christ's name and for his glory, amen. Let's together stand and we'll sing hymn number 49. The first four verses, we'll stand as we sing 49.
Receive now the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's be dismissed by singing the last two verses of this same hymn.